Epiphany Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. On Friday a thief, on Sunday a king, laid down in grief, but I woke with the key to hell on that day, the firstborn of the slain, the man Jesus Christ laid. Welcome to Epiphany's Sunday Sermons, a podcast ministry of Epiphany Anglican Fellowship in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Our church exists to help people discover and rediscover the love of God in the Christian gospel. To learn more about our church, visit our website at epiphanyligonier.org. In my life, I have uh, prayed to exactly one saint. One saint. I've prayed to one saint in my life. And it was totally an accident. I didn't mean to. Uh, I was on retreat at a convent, actually, at St. Emma's here in Greensburg. I was on retreat there, preparing for my ordination with the other ordinands and my bishop. And uh, we were there prepping for the, our, our, our ordination and the nuns, they were very kind. They fed us, they welcomed us, they let us stay uh, in their campus. And then on top of all of that, they invited us to join them for evening prayers. And so. A couple of Anglicans like me uh, and the nuns, we all were there together saying prayers. And uh, I don't understand Latin, like I know like three words. Uh, I don't understand Latin, but I know enough um, to read it. And so I thought, hey, they're, they're singing in Latin, I'll just kind of join in with them and I'll be a team player. You know, I'm not Roman Catholic, but you know, I can, I can read Latin, so I don't know what it means, but I'll sing in. And so I lent my voice, I was singing along with them, not having a clue what I said. And next to me, some of the other ordinands begin to snicker. A little bit. I said, what's wrong? And they were whisper laughing at me and they said, you just invoked St. Walburga to pray for you. It's <laughs> like, oh great, now I have to turn in my Protestant card now, I guess. I, I, I just prayed to St. Walburga. And I don't begrudge my Catholic friends for praying to saints, invoking the saints is the technical term. Uh, they're, they're, they're not really saints in that sense, more like heavenly prayer partners. So you can ask the saints in heaven to pray for you uh, as sort of spiritual allies in whatever you're dealing with. Um, there's Saint Monica, for example. Saint Monica is uh, the mother of Saint Augustine. She is the patron saint of parents who are praying for their children to come back to church. And she prayed for her whole life for St. Augustine uh, to become a Christian. And finally he did. And she said, thank you, Jesus. And then she died not long after that. Um, She prayed her whole life and got to see her adult son, Augustine, become uh, a Christian. And then there's St. Anthony. He's kind of a famous one because at one point um, he was missing his Psalter, his book of Psalms that he was reading and praying through. And what he didn't know was that another one of the monks had, had stolen it from him. So he prayed really hard to God that it would come back. And then soon after he prayed, the, the, the monk said, hey, I'm sorry, I, I stole this and I'm repenting and here's your Psalter back. And so anytime people like lose their car keys or they lose you know, um, their phone, they always pray to St. Anthony because he's the patron saint of lost things. And then there's my favorite who is St. Lawrence, the patron saint of comedians. Uh, this is the story behind St. Lawrence. Uh, He was a martyr, and he made the king very angry, and so St. Lawrence um, was condemned to die on an open grill. He was burned to death, but he wasn't tied to the stake in a fire lit under him. He was thrown on a giant metal plate uh, under a large fire, so the metal plate heated up underneath the fire, and 
he was eventually burned to death that way. But the story goes that while he was tied up and roasting on this large metal plate, he looked up at the king who was executing him and said, hey, king, I'm done on this side. You can flip me over now. <laughs> and uh, that's why he's the patron saint of comedians, <laughs> because even in that moment, he took time to, to laugh. And so there's a saint for everybody. Um, saint Walburga is per, uh, apparently who you pray to if you're sea men out on the sea and there's a bad storm, you can pray to Saint Walburga. Um, she was apparently one of the first woman authors to ever exist. And so that's who I accidentally prayed for. Um, but there's a really a new saint that's going around. And if you're not plugged into the internet to know about this saint, I'll update you uh, today as a young guy who spends too much time online. There's a new saint making the rounds uh, that's not really a saint as much as a meme. And the saint is Saint Javelin. Saint Javelin. Who is Saint Javelin? Well, Saint Javelin was a piece of street art made um, a couple of years back that's come into vogue. And Saint Javelin is not a real saint. She was sort of born out of the anxiety of the violence and the war happening in Ukraine. And it's literally the Blessed Virgin Mary but the artist took the baby Jesus out of her arms and instead put a javelin uh, rocket launcher, an anti-tank javelin. And so it's made the rounds. People have been talking about Saint Javelin, this really provocative piece of street art where uh, someone was sort of mixing commercialism and war and religion and spirituality all at the same time. Uh, it's a very interesting thing. And you can buy uh, stickers for your laptop with St. Javelin on it. You can buy t-shirts and flags to hang outside your home. And all of the proceeds will go to war relief if you are um, looking to help people in Ukraine. And, and you can buy these little stickers and bags and gifts as a fundraiser. Um, but that's St. Javelin. And uh, it's this very potent mix. And I got to tell you, I, it kind of appealed to me when I first saw it. There's a part of me that would have loved to, play to pray to St. Javelin and to get some stickers for my laptop and maybe put a little cheeky icon in my office of St. Javelin uh, holding her missile launcher. Because who doesn't want to think that God solves problems um, with more uh, stronger uh, violence? Who doesn't want to think that the solution to the world's problems is God blessing violent measures? It is this intoxicating thing. We love to think that the in this war in Ukraine, the virtuous Ukrainians being joined by Saint Michael, the archangel who contended with Satan, or Saint George, right, the slayer of dragons. Uh, we, we love to think that there's this pantheon, this war that's happening, and that God's soldiers are on the virtuous side, and um, our saints are joining in with every weapon they have, whether it is their prayers or whether it is a javelin anti-tank missile. It's so transgressive. It's very transgressive. But it scratches this inner itch that we humans have for sort of a divine sense of justice, that we do wish justice would come in a time like our own, and that God would intervene in what's happening in whether it's uh, any international sense of injustice, but in this instance, Ukraine, and bring peace and uh, execute justice on those who are the offenders. I wish I could pray to St. Javelin. I wish I could pray to St. Javelin. I wish I could tell you to pray to St. Javelin, but uh, as we get together today on Good Friday, I'm here to tell you I can't. I can't pray to St. Javelin. I cannot invoke St. Javelin and what she represents 
in a way that is integral with the Christian faith, particularly because of what we just read from John's Gospel about Good Friday. Particularly because of Good Friday. You see, right before Jesus' crucifixion, Peter tried to sort of invoke a St. Javelin moment. If you go back a little further in the Gospel of John, what you find is Jesus telling everybody to put down their weapons. Even though a mob has come to arrest Jesus, um, Jesus has to say, put down your weapons. Because Peter has made a preemptive strike on this mob. Peter has a sword. And Peter lunges out and chops off the ear of one of the members of this um, mob, this posse that's coming for Jesus. And uh, Jesus insists, he intervenes, he says, stop. He starts, he stops the conflict before it grows anymore. And he heals the ear of the uh, wounded servant. And then uh, he allows himself to be chained up and led away. This is what happens the night before Good Friday. There would be no violence in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then the next day, Jesus allows the Romans to crucify him. What does he tell uh, Pilate in this moment? Pilate says, don't you know that I have the authority to live or for you to be crucified? And Jesus says to him, no, you don't have that authority. Um, You have some authority because my Father in heaven has given it to you, but no, I hold the cards here. I am allowing this to happen. And so on Good Friday, the only defense that Jesus puts up is a sure and certain confidence in the providence of God. He does not defend himself. He stays silent. He is like a sheep being led to the slaughter. He is unresisting. St. Javelin may take up arms, but Christ allowed his arms and his side to be pierced. And it was all part of the plan. But then again, who plans for their own defeat but Jesus? Good Friday, friends, it inverts our expectations about where to find Jesus Christ um, and where to find any saint for that matter. Um, Let's just take it in Ukraine's war as an example. Um, I think a lot about the Ukrainian war. I do not think we would find Jesus or any of the other saints piloting drones or hoofing javelin missile missile launchers. I do not think they would be there taking videos on their smartphones to share with the world. So what would it look like when we look at a war like the one in Ukraine where we might ask, where is Jesus? And if I had to answer that question, I would offer something like this. If we're looking for Jesus in the war in Ukraine, I think we might find him sitting next to a terrified Russian reservist who has realized too late that he is not a rescuer but an occupier and whose tank is moments away from being blown up. Or if Jesus isn't there, I think Jesus is probably going to be standing in line at a train station in Kramatorsk. In fact, one that was blown up last week where 50 civilians died when the missile fell unannounced from the sky. I think Jesus would have been among those 50 who were killed. Or if he's not there, I think Jesus would be tied by the hands and the wrists and his body would still be on the streets of Bucha after he was summarily executed by the invaders, or perhaps Jesus is the unborn child in the womb of a mother at the women's hospital in Mariupol, which was again attacked recently at the beginning of this conflict. Given the events of Good Friday, I sincerely doubt that Jesus would be holding a javelin or an AK-47 or any weapon of war. It seems instead he would find himself amongst the defeated and maybe even the dead. That's where we might find Jesus in the war of Ukraine. 
And so in this time of wild geopolitical upheaval, praying to St. Javelin can take a lot of forms. I know fellow Christians, for example, who are praying for Vladimir Putin's assassination. I know others who are still praying. They, they kind of hope World War III breaks out. Because if it does, they think that that's going to trigger Jesus' return to come early. And they kind of want that to happen. So they're, they're urging for more violence and more war to happen. To clarify, that is bad theology. Do not do that. Do not pray those prayers. Don't believe that. But others, they share the memes. They praise the fictional pilot like the ghost of Kiev. They um, tweet and retweet things like the sunflower curse that one uh, grandmother, one babushka laid upon some soldiers at the beginning of the war. Others talk about how attractive Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky is. But as for me, I find myself up some nights at 2 a.m. on Twitter and Reddit trying desperately to find these updates on the war as if this war is some sort of months-long action movie and I can look for the heroes to win. Perhaps I have unintentionally played to a second saint as well. But if the cross is God's response to the injustices of the world, then our whole notion of where to find God is completely upended, and it needs to be recalculated. Good Friday inverts our expectations about where we find Jesus, Certainly we think um, that God is involved in the great blessings of our lives and the breakthroughs of our lives. But do we think that God could be right there in the middle of our hardships and our failures and our defeats as well? I think we pray to St. Javelin when we want to win above all else, when defeat is something we are terrified of. And so when we throw our work colleagues under the bus or when we work long hours to the detriment of our families, we're praying to St. Javelin. And when we get angry at restaurant employees and dress our children up to make other people think we're really great and we're really special and that our family is 100% hokey-dokey uh, hokey and all right, I think we're praying to St. Javelin. I think it's possible um, that, uh, do we think it's possible, friends, that we might find God in the midst of hard things uh, when we're fighting with our angry teenagers or in a failure to secure a raise at a job? Do we look for a sort of heavenly grace when our kid is diagnosed with an emotional disorder, when a freak car accident breaks our bodies and our bank accounts? How could the goodness of God be made evident in our miscarriages, in our estrangements, and in our addictions? Well, if Good Friday is everything that Jesus intends for it to be, then even the greatest failures and tragedies of our lives are not beyond the redemption of heaven. I'll say that again. If Good Friday is as good as Jesus intends it to be, then even the greatest failures and tragedies of our lives are not beyond the redemption of heaven. Anytime we forget about the cross and Jesus' embrace of defeat for the sake of others, we're praying to St. Javelin. We've forgotten the hard lessons of Jesus' ministry, the unpopular ones about loving our enemies and being smacked on the face voluntarily and repeatedly. And while the rest of the world would like to seek out victory and grow their own station, Jesus takes this downward path, emptying himself for the sake of others. I know this is a lot to consider. Maybe you're thinking, gee, Brian, this sounds a little too pacifist, and, you know, um, I'm sympathetic to pacifism, but I'm really, really bad at it, and I don't think I am one at the end of the day. Um, but perhaps I'm wrong, and maybe God's calling me to take up arms in the case 
of justice or whether it's my own social situation or the community or in Ukraine. And if that's the case, I will pray to him for forgiveness for my cowardice and uh, well, I'll ask St. Walburga to intercede for me. But if Jesus' words are right, then those who live by St. Javelin will die by St. Javelin. And the saints who are going to truly find favor on Easter Sunday are the poor and the mourning and the broken, the peacemakers and the defeated. Sadly, those saints make terrible memes for the internet, but they make heaven the glorious place that God wants it to be. So paradoxically, friends, in the great defeat of Good Friday, Jesus makes a way for the salvation of the world. For whatever reason, God seems to like working through defeat, whether it's the defeat of Good Friday or the defeats of our own lives. And so whether you're overwhelmed with your life or you're anxious about defeat or whether you've been defeated in your past, the good news of Good Friday is that the defeat can be that conduit through which God's rescue manifests itself. And so be of good cheer this Good Friday. Because in the gospel of Jesus Christ, defeat becomes victory, failure becomes fulfillment, and death is not the end. In Jesus' name, amen. On Friday a thief, on Sunday a Pennsylvania.